Hello, happy belated Juneteenth, y'all. I'm Angel, your host of Black Horror. We're here, finally back. It's been three weeks since you last heard from me. I definitely needed the time to get some other hobbies done and get some, you know, some sort of alignment and back into my everyday life. But now I'm back. I got some, well, I got a lot of stuff sorted out. And we're back with episode six, Get Out, released in 2017 and directed by the groundbreaking and incomparable Jordan Peele. This man literally is one of my heroes. Like he single-handedly breathed back life into what was a small genre being, you know, black horror. He breathed life back into it and made it relatable, mainstream, and made it seem you know, people, masses of people, I mean, people that are known and unknown, you know, big influencers and small influencers and everybody in between still talk about the influence and the impact that he had on them, on their work, on their perspective, you know, not only relating to horror, but relating to film in general. I mean, I personally look at film like pre-Jordan Peele and DC Jordan Peele or in DC afterwards because oh lord I know fuck I'm not even gonna look it up I'm pretty sure DC means yeah because BC means before Christ meaning before and DC means after oh I haven't look y'all I haven't been in Catholic school and I don't know how long but the point is that's how I sort of not even sort of that is how I view film because before get out came out and just blew everybody's mind especially I I was almost gonna say especially white people but I want to say especially black people because I feel like it was a first time when it was like everybody was like oh okay the if y'all are ready for our blackness you're ready for the stories we have to tell the lives we've lived the memories we've shared you know throughout generations and ancestors like you're the world is finally ready for that part of our culture and and not for it to be watered down not for it to be trifled with just for authentic real blackness in the arts in you know media in your film and your music and well it's already in music but just other types like I said there's just such a ripple effect that came from that movie and I mean its influence is almost too much to talk about because ever since that movie to me like I said I've I I just see so much more blackness in today's culture and it's beautiful and I wish it was something that I would have grown up with. I feel like it's something that I wish how do I it's something that I wish not only me but for like generations back I wish they had that chance to know this much blackness, this much beauty in the world and it's being perceived and it's being it's being accepted. Like, it's a beautiful thing to watch, like, honestly. But anyways, all right, let's get it started, y'all. Episode six, get out. And wait, 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 before we start, y'all have to go check out the trailer for Nope, N-O-P-E, Jordan Peele's new film. No, this is not an ad. I wish it was, because maybe I'd be getting paid from it. But go check out his trailer. It looks 
crazy. It looks nuts. It looks uh, it looks good, but I'm but I guess that's all of his trailer. I was gonna say I'm so confused, but shit, everyone was confused when the Get Out trailer came out. Everybody was confused when the especially when the Us trailer came out, and. Now I'm even more confused. There's aliens, there's horses, there's Kiki Palmer. I was about to say Wyatt. There's Kiki Palmer. There's Daniel Kaluuya. Oh my God. I was about to say, look at me getting on tangents. I was going to say, do you know what's happening with him? Like, apparently he's like under the influence of this almost cult-ish leader woman. And... I just know that they said like they're control like not there. She's controlling his finances and what movies and roles he takes and God bless Daniel. I hope you get through it. I hope you get out of it cuz she doesn't seem like the healthiest person, you know, mentally and um definitely seems like this may be someone that's trying to take your influence, your money and your stardom and run with it. And isn't that the crazy part? Like you can be a grown ass adult and be influenced by a cult. And I know I'm getting off on a tangent. We are going to start the movie. But have you ever just thought about that? Like people always like, oh, I'd never fall into it. But no, you can be anywhere. And you know, especially when you're low in your life and you're sad. And you can be influenced into a cult. Like if it can happen to celebrities, it can definitely happen to any everyday people. But okay, that's, that's it. I'm done with my tangent. Let's get into it. Get out. All right, so the movie starts out. We got Lakeith Stanfield. We don't know his character's name at this point in the movie, but he's walking down a dimly lit suburb street, and he's talking about, you know, you got me, you got my black ass out here in the creepy-ass suburbs, and, you know, he's on the phone with someone. He's walking down the street. He's on the phone. He's talking about how creepy it is, and wouldn't you hate to be that person? Like, something feels off. It looks off, it feels off, and it seems off, and then it comes true, and something really was off the whole time. Like, in his case, he, you know, he sees this car just rolling behind him, and he, you know, he crossed the street. He's like, man, fuck this, y'all not gonna get me. Crosses the street, and, you know, looks back, trying to see if the car's still there. It's not there. But, you know, as he starts looking like where, you know, where'd the car go, some guy comes up behind him, chokes him from behind, or not really chokes, but, you know, like, well, I guess I was going to say cut off to their way, but that is choking. Either way, knocks him out. You know, there's this creepy music playing because the guy has the door open and there's this creepy ass music playing. That's one thing Jordan Peele can do. He, either him or the composer he hires or whatever, they can make the creepiest fucking soundtrack to a movie it sounds so good oh my just I I cannot talk about how great this movie is but I cannot talk enough I cannot talk enough about how great this movie is but (laughs) but there's this creepy music playing there's a guy wearing this like almost medieval mask he throws Lakeith in the back of his car you know shuts the trunk and drives off and what I always think about in that scene is, okay, because the guy that kidnaps Lakeith has to, like, kind of drag him a few feet. And I wonder if there were white people watching, like, you know, like, 
but these in the neighborhood he's in there's like these tall hedges and all these trees so they couldn't see out to the main street but i wonder if someone could or if someone had like a sort of angle and they're like what is he doing to that black guy like i wonder in this fictional world as the real world what would someone call the cops <laughs> we get to the opening credits and you know there's the slow and very intense African music playing and it's um it's just it has the effect it definitely like I'm telling you like whoever was his composer or the music department in general they really knew the theme that they were going for because just every song is so perfectly placed it's you know you know you, you hear some some music in some movies and it's like this is good or it's okay but you know this might have sounded better or you know or specifically there's those movies where the song happens the scene happens and it's like nothing in this scene would have sounded better a movie that always reminds me of that specific feeling is John Wick 2, the Killing Strangers song by Marilyn Manson. Like you saw that scene, you saw the intensity of it and the intensity of that song. And, you know, John Wick's whooping ass, he's, you know, getting his just revenge. And there was no song better. Like there's no other song that could have been played at that time that would have sounded better. I challenge anyone to debate me on that. Like, there's always certain scenes and certain movies that, like I said, they just, they impact you not only because of the scene and what's going on in the scene, but specifically the the music that's playing, that's, you know, driving it home. So we get through the initial credit, well, opening credit scenes, and we see these beautiful black and white stills playing with the music Redbone by Childish Gambino. And if you have not heard it, which I believe that might have released that year or the year before that got Get Out was released, but if you have not listened to that CD, it is perfection. Every track, like... And it's so sad because his follow-up CDs suck, and I had so much hope. But, and people like his older stuff, Childish Gambino. Yes, I'm going off on a tangent, but who cares? This is the, You guys know the drill at this point. Awaken My Love is the CD. And one has one of the, the most beautiful album co- covers I've ever seen. I almost want to get it tattooed on me. It's that beautiful. But one of the, like I said, one of the most beautiful, interesting weird and I mean that in a lovingly way um album covers I've ever seen and like I said track after track is hit after hit I'm about to go listen to it after this movie um or after this recording but you know like I said that song's playing we're seeing these beautiful black and white stills and then we see that our main character Chris Washington played by Daniel Kaluuya Kaluuya I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it He's getting ready. He's shaving his face. He just got out the shower. You know, you see a beautiful studio apartment. I've always wanted a studio, FYI. And if I did, it would look like that. He, you see these beautiful photos all over his studio, his dog, you know. And then the other main character, his girlfriend, played by Allison Williams, and her character name is Rose Armitage. She gets to the door, you know, she's holding her coffee and um, some donuts, I believe. And, you know, she, and this is when everybody knew some shit was off with her, which is so crazy because I just thought she's being a normal, weird white girl. She 
knocks on the door with her forehead. Not her shoe. She didn't put down the food in the cups and then knock. She didn't try to transfer, you know, it to one hand. She knocks on the door with her forehead. Genius. It like that little thing. And like I said, so many people that I knew that watched the movie, they're like, I knew some shit was up with her as soon as she did that. And it's funny because it's true because no, no, no normal person is knocking on the door like that. It's so funny how like he just drops little things to alert you that some shit is off with either this person or this scene. So Chris opens the door for his very weird girlfriend, uh, Rose, and they're laying down and he's packing his bags for this trip. And, you know, she's asking, you know, hey, do you have your toothbrush? You got your clothes? You have this? You have that? And he's answering just, you know, or nodding his head or he'll give a very short one-word answer. And, you know, she's like, okay, I got to get something out of him. So, and Chris finally asks, like, hey, do your parents know that I'm black? And she gives this, like, pause and she's like, no, like, should they know? And he just chuckles. And it's so crazy because... A lot of interracial couples, I would think, and even in my own former interracial relationships, I've had to ask, like, hey, you know, I mean, your friends, your family, do they know that I'm black? And white people give the weirdest answers to those questions, I swear to God. One was, like, bragging. She's like, oh, yeah, they know that you're black. You know, they love, I, all my girlfriends are black. So, but I've told them, like, they, like, she was really just very braggy about it, like, and ter- come to find out, uh, that was, like, one of the only things she liked about me was that I was black. I'm telling you, they give crazy answers. Or they'll give an even crazier answer, which she also did, which was no. The fuck do you mean no? The Ku Klux Klan is still well alive and in a lot of y'all's homes. And you mean to tell me you didn't tell these folks that I'm black? I'm not trying to get chased out of here. Like, come on, stop playing. Like, white people are very oblivious. Because in this movie shows, like, I, this, oh, it's crazy. This movie literally shows what happens. They'll say no, you know, no, I didn't tell my parents. You get there, and they either are very racist, not even trying to hide it, or they're covertly racist, and they do just small things to let you know that you're not welcome, or they do the creepiest thing, which is try and way too hard to make you feel accepted which then makes you feel like why are they treating me different like which in turn can make you feel unaccepted and weird like bless but she talks them down you know she like tries to laugh it away and just lets them know like you know my parents are cool if anything you know he'll bring up Obama again and how he should have been elected or you know had three terms but you know she lets him know like my parents are cool you have nothing to worry about yes you're the black first black man I'm bringing home but you have absolutely nothing to worry about they'll accept you the way that I do and the crazy thing is about that like had this not been a horror movie it still could have ended up a horror movie like so many interracial people get into that. They have that conversation. And and I'm speaking from what's known. Like, this has happened to me too. And they'll be literally shocked when you get there and your parents or their family are treating you different. 
Like they're very shocked. They're like, oh my God, I never, I could have never known. I've never imagined that my parents, my cousin, my aunt, my grandpa, my whoever was racist. They never act like this before because you don't have black people in your home before. Like, it's just crazy to me. Like, they're so oblivious to the fact. Sometimes. Not all the time, but I'm telling you, this is this movie, besides the, you know, subsequent trying to take over people's minds and bodies, this has happened. All up until the crazy shit goes down, these things have happened. And it's it's Jordan Peele, thank you for shining the light. Like I swear I can't talk enough about like the the genius of this movie. Be- and you know what I just literally thought of in this moment? I forgot that he himself is interracial and in it, well, you know, he's white and black. He's biracial. And Jordan Peele is in, an, in, a, in a serious relationship. Like, I think he's married and has kids with a white woman. So, damn. I'm thinking about, like, as a white woman, you know, his wife, who is a comedian. I've seen her. She used to be on Chelsea Lately a lot which I did think she was funny. But, you know, as a white woman, as his wife, I wonder if she, like, watched this movie and was like, is this about me? <laughs> like, what? So they're driving, you know, down this country road, going to her parents' house, and Jordan Peele in the after, I was about to say after credit interviews, but just interviews. In the interviews and the promotion for this movie, he says, like, everything that Rose does, there's an ulterior motive. And now that I'm re-watching this like she they're driving down the road he being Chris is about to smoke he has a habit but she's trying to get him out of it she takes a cigarette throws it before he even can put his lips or you know light it up or anything and I'm thinking she did that because that's even less evidence like you know what if they're canvassing the area after his disappearance and they happen to find the cigarette with his DNA, his spit on it. Like little stuff like that. She's that in tune that she's like, no, I'm not going to have any evidence. I'm throwing, you can't smoke. You can't leave any type of trace that you were here with me behind. Like that girl's, she's good. But like I said, Chris and Rose, they're driving down the street or down this winding it looks like, you know, country road, and she's driving, he's in the passenger seat, and and he calls his friend Rod up, you know, let him know he's on the road, he's almost there, he's with Rose, blah, 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 and, you know, they're talking, they're joking, and Rod rightfully clocks like, yo, you know, <laughs> you're going to a white woman to meet her parents, like, shit might get crazy, but I'm glad you called me, you know, I want to keep updates on you, like, you can tell he's a very caring friend, like, he's he's playing, but you can tell he's serious, and they have this flirtation, Rose and his friend Rod, and it's cute, it, well, for the, for the time being, it's cute, but they get off the phone, they're driving, and a deer jumps right out in front of the car. They hit it, they swerve a little bit, and then Chris gets out and checks, and he, you know, sees deer still groaning and pain, clearly about to die. And, you know, he kind of dissociates for a little bit, like you can see he just distracted and out of it. And when he comes to, you know, it's the cop asking, or he hears the cop actually talking to his girlfriend and, you know, saying, you know, the number you want to dial is animal service and the cop asked to see Chris's ID 
And Chris, being like most black men, just doesn't want to make a scene. He, you know, he's about to hand it over. And Rose is like, no, why do you need to see it? Like, he wasn't driving. I told you I was driving. Like, why do you need to see it? And rightfully so, she clocks. It's a microaggression. He's just trying to exert his power over a black person. He didn't need to see it. And, you know, she does call him out. She's like, bullshit. Like, you don't need to see it. And he just kind of stunned, you know, being clocked like that. And then to... You know, I'm sure he's just like, damn, you know, and it's a white person calling him out. He's just like, well, you know, let me let this one go. He gives Rose her ID. He doesn't take Chris's ID and just lets him go. And, you know, in the car, he's looking and he's, he, Chris is looking at Rose and he's like, you know, giving her the, the eye, you know, he's like, damn, like that was attractive. Like, you know, that was really hot. And it's crazy because in any other circumstance about this movie and in the context, when you find out about what happens, it would be very attractive that your white girlfriend stood up to you, to another white person. It would be very attractive that she cared enough about you and your blackness and your dignity and you as a person to stick up for you. And then the end of the movie comes and it's like, Dang. but <laughs> like I said, they're driving. He's, he's just so impressed and so in love. And, you know, she lets him know, like, you know, you're my man. I'm not like going to let anything happen to you. And it's like, damn, just it's. If twenty twenty, if twenty twenty was, I keep saying if twenty twenty was hindsight, twenty twenty is hindsight, and I'm sure in the context of this movie, Chris, when he got out at the end of the movie, was like, "Damn, it was all a lie." They pull up to the house, and the mom, you know, they knock on the door, and the mom and dad come out, and they're giving Rose a hug, and you know, they're Rose introducing them to Chris and. You know, he's introducing himself and everything, and the dad off the bat is already, like, giving those vibes, like, some shit is off here. Because he hugs Chris, and, you know, he's like, you know, hi, Mr. Armitage, it's good to meet you. He's like, oh, call me Dean, my man. And like I said, Jordan Peele was really great with really acknowledging those microaggressions. Because to a white person constantly saying my man and you know dog this and that and third might seem to a white person that they're trying to be inclusive not knowing that they're very being very disrespectful and off-putting in actuality so they go into the living room and they let them know well they let the parents know like hey we hit a deer on the way in and the dad dean is making these jokes like you know i say one down you know a thousand or however many to go and like i it's just hearing all of this and then relating it to black people knowing this is how people really talk it's kind of trippy it's very trippy because like I said, when he's saying all this and in actuality knowing he's talking about black people, just re say that sentence in your head. And it's just so fucked up. But the dad asks, he's like, you know, how long has this thing been going on? And they let him know it's been like four or five months, you know, they've been dating. And just to touch on that a little bit, do you remember back in the day when meeting your parents was like a big deal? or meeting the family was a big deal. I feel like a lot of people don't feel like that anymore. Like, I certainly don't. Well, I never have, honestly. Like, if you meet my mom, cool. If you meet my family, cool. Like, a big thing to me personally is if I let you meet my best friend. If you meet my best friend, that means, oh, okay, we're, we're getting serious. But, and I think that's a lot of people now. Like, unless you hold your family to that 
I'm going to say to that degree, but like on a pedestal or to that, you know, that much importance in your head, then sure, maybe meeting the family could be a big thing. But I don't know, like even and I love my family, like I put, you know, they're very close to me and I'm very close to them. And even still, like I said, if if you meet my mom, okay, like I'm I'm not freaking out. I'm not gonna be nervous. Like even meet my best friend, I wouldn't be nervous. But yeah, I feel like it definitely doesn't take as long as it did b- back in the day. You know, they might have waited almost a year until you were damn gets about to get married to meet the parents or meet the family. But now it's like people just meet your your parents, your sister, your grandparents. All in one day, all in a couple weeks of dating, like it's not, it's no big deal anymore. And I like that. It shouldn't, I don't think it ever should have been a big deal. Like these are people you care about. You should want to meet them. And the sooner the better to see if they're the problem there or not. But anyways, so the dad starts giving Chris a tour of the house and, you know, just going over some little history and some, you know, well, family history, really, and some, you know, little facts about him. You know, he says he likes to travel and he likes to experience other people's culture. He he lets him know that his dad competed but lost to Jesse Owen in the German Olympics. And, you know, he's going around the house and he um, finally gets to the kitchen. And, you know, he's telling him how his mother loved that kitchen and they keep a piece of her in the kitchen. And then you, you know, the camera pans and you see Georgina, who is their housemaid, their cook, you know, the one that takes care of the inside of the house. And, you know, she's just standing there kind of giving this faint smile to Chris. And he's just like, so you got a black housekeeper, a black groundskeeper. Huh, like, you know, this is looking uh, very much shady. But, you know, the dad shows them the lawn and, you know, he mentioned, well, not the lawn, they have like a huge backyard, a field, basically. And the dad mentions, you know, that the nearest house is across the lake. They have total privacy. And off that sentence alone, it's a fuck no for Angel. I don't, and my friend was like this, like she wanted to live out in the middle of the desert, not the desert, the middle of the forest. She wanted, you know, her closest neighbors to be miles away from her. How can you live like that? People are crazy. And if you have seen any horror movie at all, you know that you need people around you to at least have a witness, have a decoy, have something. But as soon as he heard that, I'd be like, you know what? My job just called me. I got a photo shoot coming. I got to, you know, I'm sorry, I got to leave soon. Fuck no. So yeah, you want me to be alone with five and unbeknownst to me, two of y'all are, of the five, are white? It's enough. It's just all of it's enough. And even if, even if he didn't, or even if, I was going to say, even if the grandma and grandpa, you know, weren't there unknowing to him, Still, you want me to be alone in this big-ass house, miles away from people, they can't hear me scream. It's a no. It's all of it's a no. I need, I need, I need to be able to scream for help at the minimum. And someone, even if they don't get to me, at least they hear me and know to call the cops. Just something. But a little later on, they're all sitting outside on the deck, and the dad asks, you know, hey, what do, what do your parents do for a living? And Chris lets him know, like, my dad wasn't really in the picture, but my mom, um, she was killed when I was young. And she was like, oh, I'm sorry, how did she die? The fuck? You don't even know me. 
then you definitely don't know me well enough to be asking that. Like, I find that question in general very disrespectful if you don't know somebody. Like, how do you know I want to drudge up this memory? Like, and then two, it's just so disrespectful. And not only do white people do that, but people in general do that a lot I see they like they're just so comfortable asking hey how did that person that you love and were were extremely you know close with and cared for and cared for by you and you cared for by them and how did they die how did their life end like do you not hear how fucked up that sounds but they continue talking and they notice that Chris is a little fidgety and they ask him like hey do you smoke and he lets them know like I'm trying to quit and the dad just comes out and he's like hey do you want my wife to put you under hypnosis and basically trick your brain into never wanting to smoke again and even though it almost sounds like a good suggestion do I want to be hypnotized no the, no to that would I like help quitting smoking sure but do you want your wife who I don't know have only known for maybe a few hours and essentially don't know you know if she's good if she's bad what type of person she is what type of mom she is what type of psychiatrist she claims to be and you want her playing in my brain no and the funny thing is like in the context of this movie like they were trying to go the passive route about getting him hypnotized. So that was their initial segue in. Like they were hoping he would say, oh yeah, certainly I'll do anything to stop quitting. Like, no, no one in their right mind would just want a random stranger to hypnotize them. So Chris turns down the offer to be hypnotized, but the dad was like, you know, hey, smoker or not, we're glad that you're here for our shindig and lets them know that they're having um, this party, this get together of family and friends that they have every year on the same day um, that his father started a tradition, you know, way back when he was a kid. And Rose is like, oh, I, you know, I completely forgot that was this, you know, this week. I forgot all about it. And the mom and he should have been paying more attention because the mom is like, you know, you know, we have this every day, same year for generations now. And right there, especially because she claims to be so close with her parents, wouldn't like she would be getting the side eye from me because I'm like, you know, y'all are close and you've lived at home, you know, all of your childhood life. It's not like you were in a split house or anything. So you would have attended these parties. And even if you've been out of the house for a little bit, you know, years, a decade, maybe even, you know, because of college and just growing up, wouldn't you have gotten an invite every year to this thing because you are still close with the family, but yet you don't remember anything about a shindig? Like, he should have definitely been, you know, listening when that conversation, like, he was still probably thrown by the hypnosis question, but I would have been looking at her like... Two and two ain't adding up to four. So Georgina's, you know, pouring the drinks and she also dissociates for a little bit and she kind of snaps too when the drink that she was pouring for Chris starts overflowing and the mom lets her know, like, hey, why don't you go lay down? We'll we'll take it from here. We'll, we're just outside talking. You're okay. Go lay down. And you, you she accepts. She's like, yeah, I think I might go lay down. And to realize that, the real person was inside of Georgina, like mentally fighting for control again. That's so that's so weird and scary and fucked up. 
But the brother comes right after Georgina goes to lay down. The brother, you know, he comes around the back. He's like, y'all don't answer the door anymore. You know, he introduces himself to everyone except the boyfriend, which I am just now catching. You know, he says hi to the parents. He says hi to Rosie, gives her a hug and doesn't say like, oh, hey, uh, this must be your boyfriend. Hi, Chris. Like, he doesn't say anything to Chris. But later that night, they're at dinner. They're talking. They're laughing. And the brother, the brother, Lord, my words today, the brother of um, Rose, named Jeremy, he is telling all these embarrassing, yet semi-charming stories about his sister as she was a kid, you know, that she had a weird toenail collection and that she accidentally bit off someone's tongue. I'd have been looking at her a little sideways. Or no, sorry, not tongue. The nose. She bit off the nose, which is even weirder but yeah and you know as this is happening you know Chris isn't paying attention to the parents but they're like giving each other these weird glances like he's just so unaware like and that's how you know that they've been doing this con for that long because they make him feel at home even though they're being weird and very uncomfortable they're still making him feel a level of ease that it makes him put down his guard or at least put down his guard enough for them to do what they need or want with him. But, you know, he's telling these stories and the dad tries to ask Chris the question, like, hey, what sport do you play? And the brother immediately immediately cuts him off and he's like, hey, have you ever, you know, tried MMA? And the dad and the sister, or sorry, the dad and Rose are like, you know, hey, he's our guest, let's let him speak. You know, you've had the floor for most of the night. And you can tell that Jacob, or no, sorry, John Jacob, Jeremy, the brother is, he's drunk, high, maybe both. And he's like, you know, this is my sister. You're in our home and I can't ask the guy questions. And just being very off-putting and almost hostile or aggressive. And Chris is, you know, just trying to ease the tension. He's like, you know, do you, do you mean wrestling and he lets him know, like, you know, no, nah, I've never tried wrestling. And the brother, again, another tip off that this shit is weird. He's like, you know, with your frame and genetic makeup, you could be a beast, this and that third. And all he had to say was, you know, you look like you'd have been really good at wrestling. You know, you're, you're a big, stocky guy. You look strong. You look like you could have been good at that sport. He's like, your genetic makeup. like, And rightfully so, Chris is just giving him the side eye, like, okay like this is very off but the mom breaks it up you know he starts getting a little rough and she breaks it up and the brother lets her know like you know I wasn't gonna hurt him and it's again another side I'm because they're like nigga you're supposed to be the drunk one but of course again in the context of the ending and the big twist that you understand what he meant by that but you know, they get up to the room, Rose and Chris get up to their room, and she's going over all the shenanigans, like, I can't believe my dad is talking like this, I can't believe my mom was so rude to Georgina, you know, earlier at the table, and I can't believe my brother is about to put you in a headlock, and she's just so, or acting so, like, blown by the fact that, you know, there it was no difference between how the cop was treating Chris versus how they're essentially treating Chris. And he lets her know, like, you know, I I saw this. I saw this coming, you know. I didn't want to come here unless they knew I was black. And, you know, 
I saw that this might have been an issue. And, you know, I hate to say I told you so, but I did tell you so. And Rose just says, you know, I, I hate that I was wrong about this. I thought I knew them. And, you know, I'm sorry for bringing you into this. But another, again, another thing that Chris should have side-eyed her about, because if you know that, if you especially now know that your family is essentially racist and they're making me uncomfortable, they're being rude, they're being they're being inappropriate at the base level of it. Why Why wasn't she the first one to say, hey, let's get out of here, like, right now? It's already off to a weird start. Fuck this party. I don't want to put you in this situation. Like, if she was a caring girlfriend, or I don't want to put you... Actually, I don't want to put you in this situation any longer now that I know that this was is what it is. So, let's leave. Like, if she was a caring, a true caring girlfriend, especially in an interrelation, interracial relationship... She'd have, she'd have left right there. The fact that she was just so okay with keeping him there, even though he's like, you know, trying to calm her down because she's upset or pretending to be upset that she knows that her family is racist, but he shouldn't be calming you down. You should be calming him down and then you should have left. He, oh, he I'm telling there were so many signs and I hate that he didn't see them. But later that night, they're laying down and Chris is just thinking about the deer that they hit. And, you know, having a little bit of PTSD because, you know, he's thinking about the hit and run from his mom. And he just gets up. He decides to, you know, get some fresh air. While he's out there, he gets, like, the first real instance of, like, creepy shit going on. The grandpa starts running at him and just barely dodges him, you know, out of nowhere. And then he sees that the housekeeper is, oh, I said that, sorry, I said the grandpa, but the grandpa is, the housekeeper I mean the groundskeeper so the groundskeeper runs at him and dodges him out of nowhere and then he sees the housekeeper Georgina just staring in the well in her reflection that happens to be in a window and not a mirror and you know he sneaks back in the house and the mom is waiting in her little study and she's like you know how you know dangerous smoking is you know you're around my child secondhand degree smoke and he she ends up unbeknownst to him hypnotizing him for the first time that night and I say unbeknownst because Chris wakes up you know he's laying right back next to Rose like when he did before he got his you know breath of fresh air before he got his smoke and he just doesn't remember if it really happened or if it was all a dream but we as the audience know that it was real so he wakes up the next morning and he goes out into the wilderness or a little bit off the property um or still on the property but off the main property into the forest and he's getting some pictures and you know he's gets done he's making his way back to the house and he looks up and he sees Georgina the housekeeper in the window and you know she's just acting very strange she's in the mirror and you can tell she's like almost taking off her wig and you know just like just acting very odd and she catches him so you know he has to play it off and then he he sees a, a groundskeeper he's chopping some wood you know most likely for a fire and you know he's trying to talk to him and you know you know get a just get a little vibe of him and what he thinks about the people the family the you know the area in general or his area that he works for and the groundskeeper is talking in this odd way and you know he he almost makes it seem like 
he has a crush on Rose or he values Rose in a certain way that, you know, a groundskeeper shouldn't be talking about his families or his, well, not his families, but um, the family he works for, his daughter, like, you know, he shouldn't be talking about her in that way. And Chris meets up with Rose and lets her know, like, you know, hey, your, your groundskeeper is acting a little bit funny about you. He also lets her know that he may have gotten hypnotized and, you know, she kind of, she apologizes about it, but she kind of just like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. I'm so sorry. Like, and that's it. Like, you, you should be storming downstairs and be like, I know you didn't just hypnotize my boyfriend after I just told you leave his brain alone. Like, she just kind of lets it roll off her shoulder. Like, oh, that, that sucks that that happened, but hey, at least you're not smoking anymore. Like, she, she doesn't take it very seriously. But she does offer to tell her dad, like, hey, I hear your concerns, I'll tell my dad. And he's, Chris just brushes that off her, you know, attempts to make it, even though she wouldn't have really done it. But her attempts at a solution, and he's like, you know, just let it go, it's it's whatever, it, it happened, it, you know, we'll, we'll leave it at that, basically. And this whole time, well, yeah, this whole time I was re-watching the movie, I was thinking about how... In that instance, or every time, you know, she is offering to, you know, solve it some way that might entail having to tell other people or, you know, let them know, he's, you know, he automatically shuts her down. And that's really how it is. You know, as a Black person, you don't want to be the one that's making a spectacle or, you know, making a big deal out of something. So a lot of the time you will pick up, you will put up with being uncomfortable and being in, in comfortable situations, uncomfortable being in uncomfortable situations, just so you know you don't make things even more awkward or have everyone be awkward or the tension you know palpable amongst everyone just because you're uncomfortable. And I, I see that in black people, black people, women, and especially black women, and it's just you have to be. You have, and I had to learn this myself. You have to, as black people, and again, like I said, black people, women, and black women, you have to be more comfortable with being an uncomfortable, I keep saying uncomfortable, you have to be comfortable in being in uncomfortable situations. Like, if if me speaking up and letting you know, like, hey, I clocked the bullshit you're on, I clocked the microaggressions, I I clocked the racism, I clocked the sexism, whatever, what have you... And yeah, it'll create um, some tensions and some awkwardness. So be it. Because you don't deserve to be in that situation alone. If they're going to make it awkward for you, then you make it awkward for everyone else. But anyway, she, you know, like I said, lets Chris know that she'll talk to her father about it. But Chris shoots that down. And then you see that all these, you know, black cars are coming up, pulling up. And the party's about to start and you see that the groundskeeper Warren is his name the or Warren no I'm pretty sure Warren but you see the groundskeeper open the door and start letting people out and they're hugging him and at first I didn't honestly think it was weird but thinking about how in any other family would if the groundskeeper a black groundskeeper opened the door you know they just say thank you and walk on like Maybe if it was a black family that they would have actually given a hug or, you know, but a white family just giving a random hug to this groundskeeper that happened to be black. Like, 
That's crazy. And it's so small, you wouldn't notice it until you notice it. But anyways, the party starts and, you know, Rose is introducing Chris to everyone, family, friends and alike. And it's just a microaggression after microaggression after racism, after blatant racism, after bullshit. And he's just, he's really taking one for the team, I guess. Because I'd have been like, the fuck did you say to me? Like, this one guy's like, you know, black is in or black is back in. And then the other guy's like, oh, I do know Tiger. Like saying just because he used to be a former, I think the old guy was a former um, golf player or pro golf player. Like, okay, what do I give a shit that you knew or know Tiger for? That would, uh, I don't know his ass. And, you know, just, and then everybody's watching him as he's playing sports. And it's just, it's just all so gross. But Chris gets a chance to sneak away and he sees another black person through his camera lens. And because he's taking pictures, he went to take pictures to, you know, get some air and sees another black person or a black guy specifically. He goes up to him and he's like, you know, I feel a little bit better now knowing there's another one of us around. And he turns around and Chris is looking at him like, you know, this guy looks familiar, but he doesn't it all seem familiar because you know the guy's talking a very controlled pace and you know he's not giving any inflection that he knows Chris even though Chris is looking at him like I know I've seen you and you know I know I know you from somewhere and you know this older lady older white lady comes up and he's in is talking to the black guy who in this movie's name is Logan She's like, Logan, honey, so-and-so wants to meet you. And, you know, is trying to take him away. And Chris, the whole time, is just looking like, God, I, I can, I know this face, but I can't place this face. And the guy, Logan, or who we know as Logan, Lakeith Stanfield, is just, you can tell something is very off in the way he's acting. One, why is he here with this older white woman? Why he told her that he said he felt comfortable, you know, seeing another black person. No black person would say that. Like, oh yeah, my girl over here just said she is so glad that I'm here because she couldn't stand me with all you white folks. Like, no, like we know that that's between us and not to be known by the white people. So he definitely should have side-eyed him and be like, who the fuck is it? Like, that's a, that's a black real, a black rule. You know, what happens between us black folks do not need to be known by the rest of y'all. And the fact that he said it out loud, you know, Chris should have been wary that whole interaction. But, you know, he leaves off the Logan and his mistress or, you know, I'm guessing his girlfriend. But Chris is probably thinking his mistress or something. They go their way and he's continues taking pictures and he goes by like this lakeside with the chairs and it has a little um no I think it's just chairs and a oh what's it's like the little thing that you get married under I can I want to say ottoman but I know it's not ottoman but um centerpiece is not centerpiece you know it's tall you're usually under it for a wedding or sometimes you'll just see one outside especially if you have a well if there's a well outside there's always that little not Marina. God dang it, I can't think of it. But anyways, he goes there and he sees his favorite 
photographer Jim Hudson and he lets him know well Jim lets him know in his own way like that he kind of sees him he lets him know like hey those people back there they're ignorant even if they mean well that's all they have is ignorance and I think that gives Chris his own sort of green light to let his walls down a little bit so he starts talking to Jim and you know he's wondering like as a blind gallerist how he picks out his art and he asks him and Jim lets him know like I have an assistant, you know, she describes the work to me and that's how I pick and choose what goes in my gallery. But, you know, Chris is completely starstruck. After Chris is done talking to Jim, he goes upstairs trying to check his phone and he sees that his phone is completely dead now. Earlier, um, he plugged it up after, you know, he came back from his smoke break the last night and he saw that it was a little less than half, so he plugged it up. And then he finds, you know, now that it's unplugged again and it's dead. And that itself is too coincidental. Why? Because in my mind, I'd be like, why is someone so hell-bent on me not having my own communication? And then also, this is why you always have the portable charger. So you don't have to leave your your phone in a room where someone can possibly unplug it start playing on playing a game to run down the battery anything like you can have it portably charged in your pocket so when chris notices it's dead and rose catches up with him she he lets her know that he thinks that the housekeeper georgina is unplugging his phone because he might not or she might not like the fact that a black man is with a white person not specifically him with her but in general, he thinks that she may be someone that's against interracial relationships. And, you know, Chris is telling Rose this, and Rose is just like, oh, you think you're just so sexy, everybody wants to have you for themselves. And it's like, you know, you're not getting that. Like, some people don't want to see us together. And even though she may like you as your house or as your housekeeper, she may like you and have nothing against you. And she may like me and not have anything against me. She may have something against the fact that we're together. And again, like, she's just like, you know, laughing about it. Like, no, this is a real thing. Like some people don't like it and she's just blowing it off. So Chris finally gets his phone a little bit charged and calls Rod to let him know what's going on. And Rod clocks it from the beginning. He's like, you are not scared that someone literally hypnotized you against your consent for one. And then two, you're not scared that you're in this house with all these, literally all these other white people and they're making you a spectacle like and he can somehow out of his ass pulled out the fact that white people be making people into sex slaves which is basically the gist of what's happening like rod clocked it from the jump everybody needs a friend like rod that's gonna tell them hey you know your white girlfriend's a little bit crazy and her family's crazy and i'm worried that you may not come back like he clocks everything out the gate so rod and chris get off the phone and as soon as chris turns around he sees georgina the housekeeper and georgina's just making up some fake ass excuse that you know she cleaned off the dresser his phone came unplugged that's why it you know died or subsequently died and you know she's sorry she didn't mean to mess his stuff up and 
he's you know just trying to end the awkward conversation he's like yeah sure whatever you know no worries and then you know he lets it out like you know hey sometimes I feel a little uncomfortable when there's not enough white people I mean not enough black people and too many white people and Georgina just stops and you know she's you know it looks like she lunges a little bit like she wants to tell something but she can't get it out and that one teardrop just comes down and all of a sudden Georgina just says no 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 and you know he's rightfully so looking like what the fuck is wrong with this lady and Georgina just again with that one tear rolling down is just like you know that's not my experience Armitage's are nice and she just lets it go and you know the whole time he's just looking like this lady is crazy and after that weird interaction Chris goes back outside presumably looking for Rose and he meets this big group of strangers um the dad introduces him to everybody and I remember in the reviews because Chris is introduced to um it looks like a Japanese man or Asian or an oriental cultured person and everybody was so mad like oh it's so unrealistic you'd have a Chinese person or you know oriental cultured person asking such a a rude question or making Chris feel unwelcomed in some way and it's like Chinese people Japanese people Asian people are very anti-black also like yes he's in a house full of white people but rightfully so that there was another culture other than white to show that there's just as much anti-blackness and you know like I said Asian cultures and Chinese cultures just as well as Caucasian cultures like there's anti-blackness in all almost every culture including black so of course it was it was very adept I would say for him to include another race and the question that he asked which was stupid as fuck and anyone that is black would know it's stupid as fuck but they love to ask shit like this he asked do you think that the african american in modern day is more or less advantage and it's just like you as a chinese person should know about disadvantages like why are you asking me this like yes we're disadvantaged or more more disadvantaged in the modern world that's that's a no-brainer but anyways, Chris is trying to get out of that dumbass question. He sees Lakeith's character, Logan, walk by and he's like, hey man, you know, they're asking me about the African-American experience. What are you thinking? Lakeith, well, Logan is just like, you know, the African-American experience for me has been good. But of course he's saying that because he's a rich white man in the body of a black man and only for probably a couple months to week, no, four or five months so and you're also surrounded by white people that know you're basically white so of course you think the african-american experience is good like you have nothing else to compare it to but upon hearing that answer chris rolls his eyes like i can't believe this nigga just said that but you know he takes a picture probably just like wanting to one have evidence because he knows that he knows this person and later on he does send the picture to rod but also i'm sure he wanted to take a picture for his own self like being that is his artist his artistry is photography but and what would he name that like 
oh god that would have been a good photo just seeing this one black person with all these white people that thinks he's white because he actually is white but as he's taking the picture his flash setting goes off and you see like this light in his eyes starts to like it very pronounced at first and then starts to dwindle and all of a sudden logan attacks chris and he's like get out man you gotta get out of here and you know they take him away they haul him away rose um the mom um kitty is her name or no sorry missy armitage and then dean the dad and they haul him away and then later you know they're explaining to chris he had a seizure which triggers anxiety and aggression and then you know you see logan come back out and he's back to his old very like i said very paced way of talking like i'm so sorry chris you know and chris immediately knows something is up he's like i've seen people that have seizures but you know this this is not it but chris lets her know like no i i've seen this man before and you know he actually says out loud and she's like, oh, you met Logan before? And he's like, no, I knew the guy that came at me that had tried to attack me. I don't know Logan, but I know the guy that came at me. And in between, you know, the shots of him talking to Rose, you see the silent bingo game going on. And Dean, the father, is the one that's leading it, calling out the numbers. And when they pan back to Chris and Rose, you know, he's saying, I just need to go. I just got to get out of here. And Rose is like, you know almost selfishly well not almost selfishly asked without me like lady do you know that everything i've put up with while i've been here microaggression racism bullshit weirdness tension your brother trying to put me in a fucking headlock your dad your dad saying my man and talking about obama like all this shit and you're talking about without me like we don't live in the same city like i won't see you once you get back like girl the fuck i'm trying to get to safety there's too much weird shit going on and she knows exactly what heartstrings to pull on because he's just like you know he's looking at her and i feel like as you know as the audience i feel like he knows something's up with her too like you know why why is she acting like this i'm going through something why is she acting like this and you know he but he again is not what's the word he's not okay with being uncomfortable so he sees that his girlfriend is you know being all upset and wondering about herself when this is actually a a him situation and worrying about her and you know he throws what he's feeling to the side and he's like you know like comforting her when again this is a him situation it should be the opposite but like i said rose knows what heartstrings to pull on she's done this a million times she she knows how to calm him down and get him where he needs to be so now back at the bingo game you see that jim the um gallerist that chris is so fond of won the bingo game and during this bingo game you see that dean is standing next to this enlarged photo of chris and like i said jim wins he got i think it's five in a row for bingo and everybody's clapping they're applauding his win and then we pan back 
took Rose and Chris and now it's sundown. So this whole time he's been comforting her and, you know, trying to make sure that she knows that she's taken care of and she's loved, even though he's screaming at himself to get out. And again, now it's nighttime and she finally comes around and she's like, okay, we'll go, you know, we'll pack our stuff and go like, bitch, why didn't, why couldn't we figure out this in the car or better yet? Why couldn't I have left and you meet me back when I get back to the city? But anyways, Chris finally opens up to Rose about how he feels about his, his mother's death and you know how he still blames himself for her eventual passing. He also says, I love you to Rose for the first time. I'm guessing in the relationship, but at least in this movie. And after they get back, Chris and Rose get back to the house. They're in the room. Rose is packing. He sends um, that video that he took of Logan. He sends it to Rod and Rod calls him. He's like, yo, we know this guy. You know, this is a friend of a friend, basically, or a family friend of a friend of a friend. And we know him and that his name is not Logan. His name is Andre Hayworth. And Chris is immediately like, oh, my God, I, you're totally right. I remember. And he lets him know, like, you know, he was acting completely different. Like, not only is he dressed completely different, he's with a white woman, like, twice his age. And Rod immediately is like, yo, sex slave. Like, I told you about this. And as soon as he says that, the call drops. Most likely one of the Armitages has, you know, a cell blocker and turns it on. So, you know, Rod just assuming it's his battery from earlier. So after the call drops, Rose is, you know, like, hey, are you done packing? You know, just checking on him. And Chris lets her know, hey, we got to get out of here now. So Rose goes downstairs saying she has to get her bag, but most likely warning her parents and brother like, hey, he's trying to leave. So they pan back up to Chris. He's throwing stuff in the bag now. Like at first, you know, he was just kind of leisurely packing and, you know, whatever. Now he's throwing shit in his bag. He's trying to get out. But he notices one of like this itty bitty door, probably like waist high, is open in Rose's, you know, family bedroom. And it wasn't open before. So he goes in there and he sees all these pictures of all the people that he's met he sees a picture of the groundskeeper with rose he sees a picture of the housekeeper with rose he sees a picture of all these other previous boyfriends a lot of them black not a lot of them all of them black even though she said at the beginning of the movie he's the first black person she's ever dated so in my mind if i see this and I remember what she told me when they're go running down the stairs to leave. I would have left her ass too. Like I, at that point, I'm running. I'm about to run out the window, run out the window. I'm about to run and jump out the window. I'm about to bust down this door. I'm about to do something because at this point, I can no longer trust your ass. And I'm sure in his mind, he was like, you know, once we get to the car, I'll ask her like, hey, why do you have these photos of these people? But no, fuck that. Don't ever trust the white person in a movie. They will get you killed or kill you almost every single time. So anyways, he finds these pictures. And as soon as he's like, you know, coming to, he's like, you know, I'm sure he's looking at him. He's freaking out in his mind. But he's like, fuck this. You know, I got to go. I can ask her about this later. So he closes the door, takes the pictures, closes the door. And as soon as he closes the door, he sees that 
Rhodes is right there, been staring at them his the entire time, but also did not say anything. So he's like, you know, okay, let's go put this in the car. Um, do you have the keys? And she's like, they're in the bag. It's just a matter of finding them. Now, any black person should know, but especially if he was a woman, like, because I feel like black women with purses say this all the time or do this all the time. He should know. You get the keys ready before you make it to the car because in the off chance you're being chased, you do not have time to be looking through or rummaging through your bag, your pockets, your backpack, none of that shit. You have the key ready and already on, on the unlock button before you reach the car. He should have had the keys in hand before he even went downstairs, but he kept trusting her. She's like, I just have to find them. I just have to find them. Bless his heart. Just bless his heart. But anyway, so he's going downstairs. Um, as they're going downstairs, they see that the brother is blocking the door. The mom steps out of the office and almost, because there's a back door in the kitchen, but her study is on the way to the kitchen. So she doesn't necessarily block it, but she kind of like steps out and is like, you know, very intimidating. And you know, things are just getting weird. You know, he keeps telling them, you know, we're going to leave and they just keep pressing him. Why do you want to leave? You're not comfortable. Have we done something? Like if someone says they want to leave, let them leave. So the brother starts walking up on him. Rose still saying that she's just trying to find the keys. The dad comes what looks like from possibly the kitchen into the other side of Chris. So now he is blocked. There's no way for him to escape. And they still don't have the keys. And he's still just very calm. Or he, no, not calm. He's trying to maintain his calmness. And it's just like, no, you should be whooping ass. Like, like I said, if it was me, I'm about to headbutt the fucking brother. I'm about to throw, I don't know, anything. Maybe my bag at the dad. Unfortunately, the mom has a T that hip, the, like she rings, or not rings, she runs her spoon around teacup and makes a sound that hypnotizes him so unfortunately she still has that but I mean god like do something like I understand that yes that's her family but fuck her family at this point you're freaked out and they're not letting you leave it's all suspicious so the dad gives this like eerie speech about morality and how fire is a reflection of basically mankind this and the third and now he's getting very scared you know you see the trembling in his eyes and in his voice and he's not only getting scared but he's getting fed the fuck up he starts yelling he's like rose give me the keys give me the keys right now and so the brother like and i think it's a what's it called a lacrosse stick like almost hits him and chris blocks it and he's like what the fuck and the iconic traumatizing fear-inducing scene of rose finally finding the keys which she knew were in there and probably had in her hand the whole time and her face completely changing from fear to i've had these keys i know what's going on i'm in on the plan sorry about it it's just so oh my god when i say 
especially seeing it in theaters when it came out for the first time, it's like not only does your like gut just drop, your heart breaks because she was the one person in the movie you thought he could trust. And turns out all he could trust was himself and Rod. But like I said, she finds the keys, tells him that, well, not tells him, but basically shows him that he's here alone. He was, she was never on his side. And the wife puts him under hypnosis again, puts him in a trance, and he's back into the sunken place. Basically, a body void of a mind. So now that Chris is in the sunken place, he can see, he can hear, but he just can't react. And he sees and hears the father and the brother, you know, clearly taking him somewhere. He doesn't know where. And he sees that Rose bends over his body and you know into his face and he's she says like you were one of my favorites and it's just like he's here in the second place fighting to get back to his consciousness fighting to get back to his body while also having to deal with the fact that he just got played kidnapped god knows what else like he doesn't know what's going to happen to his body this whole time like Oh my God, it's just, I can only imagine the fear and just anger and just the, what's the word, the regret of not listening to Rod. But speaking of Rod, he's very worried about Chris. He had, you know, he had the call that dropped earlier. Chris didn't give him a call back. And now that he's trying to call Chris, he's not answering. They cut to Chris who's knocked out and tied up in this big brown leather chair and you know he finally startles awake and like is like you know takes a deep breath and you know he's remembering what happened and how he got there as he's wiggling and you know pulling and tugging at his restraints you know trying to get out the tv in front of him comes on and it's the grandpa that he never met rose's grandpa and he's explaining the coagula process which is basically putting usually an older white person's brain and consciousness into the body and forefront consciousness of a black person and at the end of the video you know the grandpa saying you can't fight it it's part of the process and you see the whole family come out and it's the same scene of a picture that the dad had showed Chris when he first got there and it's like oh so this coagula process this you know kidnapping black people and severing them from their own consciousness to put in a white person's this has been going on for literal generations like this is not just a me thing this is a it's been going on and probably happening to most of the black men of this state thing it's crazy So after the video is done playing, Chris gets knocked back out and basically knocked out, drug back into the sunken place. And we see that Rod, his best friend, has now tried to go go to the police. He, you know, goes to the police. He tells them everything that he knows and everything that he may think is true as far as the sex, the sex slave thing. And, you know, the cop is erica alexander who plays in oh what's that show living single i can't oh she's the lawyer i can't remember her name and she had that bob i can't remember the character's name in living single but i just remember she's like something shaw 
something Shaw attorney at law. Oh, dang, I'm gonna have to look it up. But the point is, she plays the lawyer and living single. And she's the cop in this movie, listening to Rod. And she's like, you know, hold on, let me get my manager. And so she gets the manager and Rod's really thinking like, okay, you know, he tells him the story again and tells him his theory of the sex slave. And, you know, he's really thinking that, oh, they're gonna listen to me, they're gonna help me. And they laugh him out of the building. They're like, bruh, like black people go missing all the time in the city and yes this is white people are probably crazy but probably not that crazy and they just totally disregard him and laugh him off so rod takes things into his own hands he calls up rose and you know he's asking questions like hey what cab service did you use did he take a uber or a lyft you know do you have ver- verification or the payment receipts from this and she completely turns it around and makes it because he's recording. He thinks she doesn't know that he's recording, but I'm sure she's gone through this many a time. So since he is recording, she turns it on him like, hey, you know, you've always hit on me. Now we can we, we can be together. And of course, he can't play this for a cop now because if the cop hears that they've been flirting and, you know, they have something that if he does bring it up, they're going to suspect like okay maybe he got rid of Chris because he was jealous or something like that so she's in on his game and doesn't let him get the upper hand and he's Rod is completely like almost in awe that she's so smart but clearly pissed off because he's trying to find his friend so Chris wakes up again from his hypnotism and the TV comes back on and this time it's the blind gallerist Jim and he's explaining like, hey, I played bingo and I won and I basically paid for this procedure. You know, I'm um, taking advantage of the membership because I want what you have. And, you know, Chris is thinking he wants his blackness, you know, like the other people, but he's like, no, you know, I don't know why they're black. You know, Jim saying, I don't know why they use black men. You know, it's just something they do that's on them. But to me, it has nothing to do with that. He's like, I want your eyes. I want that vision that lets you take and create these beautiful images. I want to see what you see and have the gift that you have that I lost. Next, we see the dad, who's a neurosurgeon. He's preparing for surgery, you know, preparing to put Jim's brain into Chris. And something that just bugs me out every time I see this scene, the dad, who's wearing sterile gloves, mind you, sterile, touches his mask to pull it over his nose, over his mouth and nose. You will never see that. Once you have sterile gloves on, you cannot touch it anything except the client's body so the fact that he's just put all of his germy mustache all over his gloves it's it's like sir especially because he's an actual neurosurgeon like outside of what he does for the coagula you know cult whatever sir you you should know you should know sterile process better than that like come on now So Dean starts the surgery, he's cutting into Jim's head, and Jeremy, Rose's brother, is going to get the knocked out Chris and, you know, transport him to the operating room for his portion of the surgery. And that's when you see that Chris, ingenious Chris, took the cotton that was in the chair of the arm, put it in his ear so he could not be knocked out, 
via the teacup he grabs a uh, looks like um one of those what are they called the bowling balls not bowling dang it the um what's the thing when you it's a stick pool there it is he takes one of the pool balls and knocks jeremy upside the head with it and knocks him until he's down and unconscious but that's the thing in every scary movie like this and i don't even like the scream series but neve campbell's character in that was always right shoot him in the head kill them make sure they are plain and dead before you stop attacking shooting whatever make sure they're dead chris doesn't do that he knocks him until he's down then he takes the antlers from a trophy head of a buck that was killed and impales the dad you know because the dad comes out he's trying to check on what's taking the son so long he gets impaled by these huge buck antlers chris goes upstairs into the kitchen he sees georgina who he still doesn't know that is the grandma in the consciousness of the black woman georgina she's humming as soon as she sees chris she takes off running and then he gets his phone and he's about to go through the kitchen to the front door but he stops in the study because he sees the mom and you know they're they both lunge toward the teacup that you know helps knock him out he gets there first and swats it on the floor it breaks and she starts you know trying to talk him down and this then the third saying bullshit anything to you know distract them and she gets a letter opener well the letter knife you know cutter is about to stab him but he puts his hands up and he blocks the stab with his hand it goes through his hand and oh my god i can just like it just makes me like cringe every time like i can only imagine having to stop a blade with my hand like oh the pain oh my god but it's in his hand he turns it around stabs the mom in the eye with the blade that's going through his hand like chris is a complete badass chris finally reaches the front door and as he opens it to walk out here comes the brother again just blood all down the side of the back of his like what right side of the head he grabs or he jumps on chris on his back and he's choking him and chris keeps trying to open the door and he he'll kick it closed and he's still choking him and he'll this is a repeated process um he'll choke chris will start getting forward open up open the door enough just a little bit where he could have gotten out but then the brother will kick it back it happened about three four times before chris gets in his head like okay he's gonna kick it as soon as he raises his leg up chris stabs him in the knee and the brother's down for the count he's you know kneeling at this point so chris kicks him again till he's laying on his back and just i'm at this point assuming kiss kicking his chest and his face and kicks him until he's dead he's finally learned a lesson once he's down you know stop till they're dead so now chris is finally outside he's out of the arbitrage house and before he went outside, he grabbed the keys from the brother. So he he's in the car now, and we hear the song that was playing at the very beginning of the movie when Lakeith um, Logan was kidnapped. And we see that old super medieval mask, well, helmet mask thing that he was wearing. So we figure out that 
you know, the brother had a even bigger role in all of this than we thought. Like we knew that he helped with the surgeries, but he also helped with recruitment and kidnapping. Also, he's just as entangled as the rest of the family. So Chris is in the car. He's about to escape. He has 911 on the phone. They really can't hear him. Um, I'm guessing because he's out in the woods and may have a horrible reception. But as he's driving away, he hits the grandma or Georgina, as he thinks. And he wants to leave her. You know, he's thinking like you can tell he wants to leave her just the way his face is looking. But he doesn't. And I'm guessing because it's like he doesn't want to leave another black person in that situation. You know, he's thinking he's still thinking that Georgina may be innocent in all of this. She may not know what type of family she's working for. Actually, I revised it. I feel like he did know because he saw the scar on her head a little bit later, but even before that, I'm sure he thought that she was another victim of the coagulant process, and that's why he didn't want to leave her. Even though she's technically white, there's still a black person deep down in there that's struggling to get out. But the only way he knows how to get that person out is by a flash, and he only did that by accident. The point is, Chris is a better person than me. I'd have left ass. As he's driving away, the grandma Georgina wakes up and, you know, her wig slips off and she's yelling at Chris, you ruined my house, you ruined my house. And as she's hitting him, it's causing him not to look where he's going and, you know, pay attention to her and how he's being hit. And so they've run into a tree. Grandma slash Georgina is now actually dead. Hopefully both their consciousnesses go to where they're supposed to go. And Chris is still alive, thank God, but he gets out and now he's being shot at by his ex-girlfriend, Rose. And Chris is trying to hobble away because he's still, you know, I'm sure still fucked up from all the hits and trauma that he took from Jeremy and the choke. And now he's gotten into a car accident. So my boy's in some pain and he's got to make, so he's hobbling away. And here comes grandpa, the groundskeeper, you know, that used to be a track runner. He's running. He tackles Chris. Chris luckily gets a hold of his phone, flashes the grandpa. And so now we know and stops choking Chris. So now we know that the groundskeeper's original consciousness that was the guy that also dated Rose is back in control. So Rose doesn't know this. Thank God. So the grandpa's like, you know, I want to, this is my kill. Let me see the gun. Takes the gun, shoots Rose, and then shoots himself because, I mean, rightfully so who's gonna believe him about what happened and then just all the trauma that he's already gone through he just ends it so damn there everybody's down for the count now rose has been shot in the gut she's about to die soon the groundskeeper slash grandpa's killed himself chris has again been choked and he's just trying to get his wherewithals back you know but he looks up and he sees that rose is still up or i mean still alive and is trying to get the gun so he gets to it before her and kicks it out the way and he's about to you know choke her and as he's choking her you know his his grip starts lessening and loosening up because you know he's he's thinking you know this is the woman that I loved less than four 
24 hours ago and now I'm realizing she never had any feelings for me I was just a plaything for her and I'm trying to kill her like this is all is crazy it's too much he stops and she's laughing you know or she's actually smiling smirking at him and you know because she knows what power she has over him like even if even though she almost got him killed she knows the hold that she her love and her as herself has over him so as he's loosening his grip and you know just about to leave her for dead sirens come up and oh my god again when as an audience member seeing this in the theater we were like not the collar everybody was like oh my god like no because we know what it looks like having this black man bloody even though he's bloody and beaten up you know has he's putting his hands in the air but he's over this dying white woman we all know the optics we know what most people would assume and just as we're getting ready for another let down to the community to the you know black community Rod steps out of a TSA truck and we are like every when I say the audience erupted everybody was screaming clapping like just like we won this like this is the one movie where we had some common sense black folks some black folk sticking up for themselves and we ended up on top it was it was a beautiful scene in as far as it in the actual movie and in the theaters. But like I said, Rod, he comes, he helps Chris get in the car. And, you know, Chris is rightfully like, you know, like, you know, I'm happy you're here. I'm happy you saved me. But how did you know? And, you know, Rod lets him know, I'm TSA. That's what I do. You know, I told you I'd be here. I told you I'd handle it. It's handled. And damn, it's like, Rod is a real one. He is a true best friend. And he he said he'd have it handled and he had it handled. And then that's the end. Um, like I said, it's a great film. And here we are, finally at the end. We're here at our BPR, our Black People Rating. I told you the time would come. I told you the time would come. And here it is, the day that we have finally come to a film that is five out of five Afro picks. This movie deserves all five Afro picks. We have an intelligent, handsome, creative black man in the lead, dark skinned black man in the lead. He's in an important role being the lead. He lives throughout the whole movie and fights to live and he fights hard and comes out on top. He lives and with some help from his friend, but mostly himself, fights to stay alive, fights a whole family, not just one or two people, takes out the dad, takes out the mom, accidentally takes out the grandma. Unfortunately, well, fortunately and unfortunately, Fortunate because Chris is alive. Unfortunate because I, he didn't have to do it, but helps take out the grandpa because the grandpa takes himself out. And because he helps almost, well, no, he helps take out the grandpa who takes care of himself, who before taking care of himself takes out Rose. So Chris didn't have to do it. 
So like I said, he took out five members of the family. Five. By himself or with help. And as far as we know, did not get caught, did not get blamed for the disappearance and death of these white people. And he's a completely believable character in every facet. Not only is his blackness believable, him as a black man is believable, him as a black man reacting to racism within the girlfriend's family and friends, believable. Five out of five Afro picks completely and utterly deserved for the movie Get Out. Guys, it has been a pleasure re-watching this. It's been an even better pleasure talking about it. Please join me for episode seven. And don't forget to tell me what you think about the movie and give me a shout on my Twitter at Black Horror Pod or at my email at Black Horror Podcast at Yahoo. Hope to hear from you, and you'll definitely be hearing from me next time. See you next week. Thank you.